is it is it true kind of across the board that it's it's harder for people of color to get access to the same jobs um, as others and kind of help me and help our audience to kind of understand what some of that problem is that exists. Yeah, so it, it, it's definitely true and that the numbers tell the story. Um, off the top of my head, it's it's a, about 8% of African-Americans that are actually in tech, um, where a lot of the wealth's being created. So if you look at the, hmm. the, the S&P, Fortune 500, where all the wealth's being created in technology, and it's, it's, it's 8%, um, and you've got a population of, of 13%. Right. Um, so some of that will, will, will change over time, but then you look at the managerial positions and the positions that people are in. And- Welcome to the Small Business Storytellers, the show where we dive deep into the stories and secrets of businesses focused on not just making money, but making the world a better place. My name is Seth Silvers, and my passion is helping businesses grow that are making the world a better place. Every episode, you will hear from transformational leaders and business owners as we dive into what has helped them grow and what has helped them stay true to themselves along the way. Also, every week we are hosting live conversations with our guests in Fireside Chat, where we give you, the audience, the opportunity to ask them your burning questions. So make sure to join us live on Fireside Chat on your mobile device. Let's dive in. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Small Business Storytellers. If this is your first time here, I'm your host, Seth Silvers, and on this show, we will bring you some of the most transformative business stories that you've probably never heard. In my experience as a business owner, the most relatable lessons and stories that have helped me grow my business, they don't often come from Fortune 500 companies. They usually seem to come from other small business owners. And on this show, I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends who are building incredible businesses. And we're going to learn from their successes, their failures, and we're going to learn what they're doing. So without further ado, welcome to the Small Business Storytellers. And on today's show, we have a very special guest, Marcus Sawyer. And Marcus is the founder and CEO of the EQ community. Him and his team are building an amazing platform that's focused on community connections, and careers. And what I love about what Marcus is doing is that he is working to bring authenticity back to professional connection online and how we connect with people and to really do that in a way that is authentic and brings meaningful value to our careers and really also just to our personal, professional um, lives. So Marcus, thank you for joining us today on the Small Business Storytellers. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Seth. Yeah. Uh, tell our listeners, where are you calling in from today? I'm in the Bay Area, so California. Awesome. Wonderful. I'm calling from Colorado, um, so not not too far, and uh, both places that I love. Marcus, I'm excited to hear more about your story and more about your platform. For those of us that haven't looked at EQ Community, could you kind of just give us a 60-second snippet of what you and your team is building over there at EQ Community. Yeah, absolutely. So I generally like to start with with the purpose on, on why, why we're building it. And the whole idea is to build a platform that empowers multicultural professionals to thrive. 
And the approach that we've taken in doing this is a combination of some authentic social um, interactions, as well as a professional network that supports people with the connections, the communities, and the careers that they need to be successful. So it's a, it's a, it's an online platform, and we work with professionals that are interested in or currently in tech. Awesome. So you guys just launched 60 days ago. I imagine the last 60 days have been a bit of a whirlwind. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> you could. And like today, like, but your your platform is live. So like if if I go on and I log on to EQ, do you prefer us, do we prefer that people refer to it as EQ community or EQ? Like, how are you referring to your platform? Yeah, so I, I think the idea was that everyone will refer to, to it as EQ in the end, but to buy EQ.com. Um, was a little bit beyond our means, but we were able to get EQ.community, which is what it's all about. So EQ is fine. Yeah. Okay. So if I go and, and I log on to EQ, create an account right now, yep. um, what kind of value are you guys? Like, what am I going to be able to experience? What is it? What am I going to be able to do? Yeah. So so firstly, when 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 you log on initially as a member, so there, there are two constituents that we serve. So it's, it's really a, I suppose a two-sided marketplace in the sense of, the members will go on, you'll create an account, um, you'll add your professional links. So if you've got accounts on different sites, you can bring them into one space. And then you'll start to follow uh, topics that are interesting for you. So we've got various different types of topics and those topics span all the way from culture, film and TV back um, through to the boardroom. So the idea is that uh, we see people as a whole and you're not completely a completely different person when you go to work and when you, when you're in your personal life. So we wanted to blend that into one space. So it didn't really feel, I suppose, just heavy when you're joining a social platform where you've got to put your your shirt and tie on, so to speak. So yeah, you you, you go in. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I, I think that's interesting because you know for years, I'm a big journaler. Like I love journaling. I love, you know, daily gratitude and different things like that. Found that that's really grounding for me. And also like, I, you know, I have to write down my tasks each day. Like I have to plan out my days pretty, pretty rigorously to get the things done I want to. So for many, many years, I was realizing like, okay, you know, I have my professional, like I have my like business planner and then I have my daily journal. And I always felt like, okay, these things have to be separate. Like, you know, my personal life and my work life. And I love the work that I do. And I do the work that I do so we can enjoy a life that we like enjoying. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, why don't I use one journal to keep everything in my life there? And it's been it's been amazing since. So I think that that's uh, I know that's not in the context of an app, but I'm curious to why you, you know, it sounds like EQ is kind of a more professional community that you guys are building. Yeah. But you also want to kind of bring in this personal feel to it. Why is that? Yeah. So, and, and by the way, we've got a gratitude topic that you can follow as well, because that's important to, to us. Um, but yeah, the, I think that a, a lot of the time, as I uh, kind of mentioned, whether it's your virtual or your physical shirt, tie, blouse, whatever you wear to work, people feel like they have to, to put that on. And I think by doing that, you, you miss a lot. And you, we've probably all heard kind of authentic leadership um, and how that brings out the best in people. But I think generally speaking, just 
dumbing it all the way down. It's like people like to interact with people that they get on with. So um, in, in, in order to do that, you have to understand people. And hence the name EQ. So it's really about understanding people's right. perspectives. Um, and, and when you do that, yeah. you start to bring down some of those barriers that may just be there already. And maybe you and I don't connect necessarily on the exact profession that we work in, but we, we might both like to watch certain films or do certain things. So it's really teasing that out so you can connect with people on different levels and, and start to blossom relationships in new ways. Right. Yeah. Which, which is brilliant. I'm curious to like help us understand the business side of this on this show. We always like diving into, you know, the story, but also really understanding like, what's the business, what's the growth model. So help us understand like, what is the business and kind of growth plan look like for EQ? And I, you know, I don't want to compare it to LinkedIn, but I think a lot of people are listening to this conversation and be like, Oh, professional online network, LinkedIn. So Help us to understand like what really is the unique value prop that sets aside EQ from some other profession, some other companies that are trying or are doing professional networks. Yeah, so at, at, at a high level, just in terms of the, the the background of it, I've been fortunate enough to get access to, I suppose, opportunities based on on my connections. So. Um, Typically, people from diverse backgrounds, if you haven't gone to the right school or you, you don't you, you don't necessarily fit the face, you find it quite difficult to get access to those opportunities. So the model is really bringing more diversity and inclusion to companies. So uh, a lot of companies have started to put out a diversity and inclusion pledge. And I, I was actually consulting and advising some VCs, big, big VCs and, and also their portfolio companies. And what we found is that a lot of them want to do stuff, um, especially with the way that you can have remote work moving forward, but they don't know how. And the reason they don't know how is they don't know how to display what they're doing in a correct manner. And they don't know how to tap into new networks if they've all gone to a particular school. So the model is that we empower companies um, who have individuals that are interested in being ambassadors and championing diversity for them to come to the platform and become members. So they'll have a corporate membership um, and included in that corporate membership, they get their own environment and own space inside EQ, but they also get to be in the main space as well. So that's kind of the baseline part. So people will pay us a monthly uh, subscription for that membership in terms of corporates. And cool. the uh, we have an a la carte model, which is around building talent. So some companies have varying needs, whether that is for a full search, which would mean that you've mapped the market, you'd really get very specific and, and pick that talent out, or they may just want us to source and screen talent for them. And we'll provide a certain amount of interviews for a price in order to do that. So there's a, an ele element of right. membership and an element of hiring. Cool. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And so then as a user, you know, I would kind of come on and it would be a place where I could engage in some conversations, um, you know, around some personal topics, but also some professional topics. But as a somebody who desires to achieve quite a bit in my career, this could kind of really be a community of like minded, but also diverse, um, diverse conversations and also companies that are valuing that. And so you're actually hoping that people can, you know, might be able to, this might be a place where people can go and find jobs or, you know, places can go and potentially get connected with investors. Is that, is that correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we and so jobs is a big part of what we do. Um, we have actually access to about five thousand positions in tech um, right now that we are steadily starting to bring to the platform and balancing that with the supply. Um, yeah, 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 that's great. How did you get into this? Because you, you I mean you have a unique story too. Um, you know, being an executive with Fortune 500 company. Um, obviously, you're not from the Bay Area based on uh, the amazing accent <laughs> you're carrying. So give us some background into uh, what got you, what's kind of the career path and what got you to where you are today? Yeah, so I, I, I grew up in England, um, born and bred in London. Parents, Jamaican and Nigerian heritage. Um, I've got some French, Polish in me somewhere as well. And um, yeah, we just we, we grew up in the city, and the, the plan was to be a professional footballer. Um, and, <laughs> and so I, yeah, I got a football scholarship, um, done all that. Stuff. For the Americans listening, <laughs> that's not football. That's soccer. No, no, no. He's talking about the real, the real football. Yeah, the one that you use your feet. You know that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that that was kind of my path, and then I got to a point where um I, I had a couple of I had a couple of injuries but I think it was a combination of um not focusing on sports as much as I thought I was right it takes a, a lot of time and dedication and you get a lot of different distractions that come along and um I was continuing on that path and I decided to get a job in a gym to stay fit um after I dropped out of university and um once I'd done that they didn't have any typical gym jobs so they only had sales jobs. Hmm. I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can sell some gym memberships. So I started this job at a place called LA Fitness. Uh, when I was 22, I think 21, 22 at the time, selling gym memberships. But the problem was it was in London in an area where it was like, uh, you, you kind of get these places like in New York as well, where it's like underground. So no one could find it. So like right. a really hidden gym. So you had to go out on the street and find people that wanted to go to the gym. Bearing in mind, these times people weren't really that interested in kind of gym. And also London, it rains a lot. So you had to stand outside, try and prize people and right. get them to come to the gym. And I just thought there must be a better way to do that. And how? So, so what I started looking at was companies and started kind of bringing out this corporate gym membership piece. Um, done that for a while. And yeah, I realized that I wasn't getting paid a lot and I was going to go and look for a job. And I found a company that was hiring online. Um, that, was, that was really early at that time for an account executive. And the whole thing was disrupting the newspaper industry. So I went to uh, a company called Career Builder, um, who were competing with um, Monster and a few other companies at the time. And yeah, just, just really yep. from there, I, I got promoted every year, went into, um, yes, inside sales, I was making 120 calls a day. So I just really was a kind of ground up person, started from the bottom um, and just continued going through and, and getting promoted. And then I got some opportunities to run uh, part of that company across Europe at Career Builder and um, then got headhunted to go to the ADECO group where I was there for the last five years. Um, and I was the head of uh, global innovation for the companies at $24 billion. Um, I was buying, building, and investing in tech companies all over the world. Um, and so done that. Yeah, so that was kind of the journey. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like an exciting journey of just showing that, you know, you you work hard and keep doing good at what you do and it's going to open up the door to more opportunities. 
And then 60 days ago, give or take, you quit. So, uh, <laughs> like, tell me about that moment of realizing, you know, I'm sure the EQ had been kind of rumbling around in your head a bit, but then getting to the place where you're like, okay, I have this great job, you know, I enjoy what I'm doing. And uh, I'm going to quit to start building my own thing. How did, yeah. how did that happen? Tell me about that moment. Yeah, that was, that happened over, over, over the period of time that COVID um, happened. So like March the 8th last year, uh, one of my friends came over to the Bay and we spent some time together and we were just talking just about the future and what's next. Um, and we were actually, he came over and we were meant to go fly down to Vegas, but we, decided not to because COVID was just breaking out and it was a good choice. And uh, right. so then we just were kind of talking about different ideas, different opportunities. And I was just thinking this time next year, um, I want to be in a position where I can make a decision to, to, to run my own deal. And I'd done that before I was in a, tra I ran a travel business, actually helping people from the UK get to Vegas. That was my first business that I actually had for five years. Um, it's called truly, Viva, um, and it was called Truly Vegas, and then Truly, mm -hmm. yeah. So we had a, a few different names. It was Truly, but then yeah, we we yeah, I, I just thought about it, and I saw what was happening in the US in particular um, with with George Floyd, and I felt like a lot of the way to drive change is through uh, economic empowerment and being in the software space, but also the job industry, HR tech for some period of time. I felt well there's a huge opportunity here to help people. I know about this space and I know about this world. And if I don't do it now, when am I going to do that? So, uh, and yeah, that, that right. it was a, it was a, it was a process in my mind. At least I went on many runs, many four mile runs, which I do daily and thought it's just the right thing. And it was scary to be really honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what you said is what you said is great. And like, we've talked a little bit about your platform and, you know, this power of kind of having a place where people can make connections, have these conversations um, and, and really get connected to potential employers or capital resources. I'm really curious. You mentioned George Floyd, you know, at the moment, the trial is going on and that's been such a heavy topic. Tell us more, like, how is what you're doing really making not just making an impact but how is it contributing in positive ways to to some of those social issues that our country has been facing and uh is trying hopefully trying to figure out how to work through right now like help us connect the dots between some of those issues that you're really passionate about um yeah. and also that happen to be very big problems in our country and what eq yeah. is doing yeah and and it's not to proclaim that we're solving all the challenges and all the issues, um, just to be very clear on that. But the, the whole ethos on EQ and what EQ stands for is um, firstly, emotional intelligence, but equity and equality. And that was the, the that's the whole premise, the reason why we've built it. And what, what, we're, what we're spending a lot of time on is figuring out how do we advance people of color, black people, generally speaking. Um, and a lot of that, as I mentioned before, is through economic empowerment. So whether that is figuring out the right investors that you can work with or mainly just real, real clearly getting the right jobs and opportunities. So really what we're what we're spending time on is leveling the play, playing field um, and hmm. giving people an opportunity to have conversations 
that they haven't felt like they can have. And so some of the, the, the narrative or if you like anecdotal pieces that I hear people say on the platform is it feels like a safe space. Um, I come out of here, I feel hmm. nourished. Um, somebody said to me after me the day, I needed that for my soul. And so this is the type of feedback that we're getting yes. um, from people. So that again, if you've got the support that you need, that's one proponent of it. Um, and that support doesn't just come from those that are close to you, but it's that that next level of concentric circle that will allow you to advance and move forward. So what we're really trying to do in a, in a very methodical way is give people all of the resources that they need to be successful, at least have access to them and know where they are. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for some of our listeners that maybe haven't dove into some of what you're talking about with the same, you know, level that you have, or I've spent a lot of time in the last year, just trying to, trying to better understand as a white male business owner in, you know, a well-off community and, you know, going to private schools and initially just being very grateful for everything that I've been given, but like, there's always been opportunities in front of me. And that's something I'm very grateful for. And in the last few years, I've realized, oh, that's not, that's absolutely not the case for everybody. And so there's been a big, a big journey of education and not even just empathy, but even wondering, like trying to figure out, okay, what can be done to really make sure that everybody has access to some of the same opportunities that some people do. So for people that maybe haven't researched and haven't um, learned all of kind of the disparities, like help us to understand, like, is it, is it true kind of across the board that it's, it's harder for people of color to get access to the same jobs um, as others and kind of help me and help our audience to kind of understand what some of that problem is that exists. Yeah. So it, it is definitely true. And that the numbers tell the story. Um, off the top of my head, it's it's a, about 8% of African-Americans that are actually in tech, um, where a lot of the wealth's being created. So if you look at the, hmm. the, the S&P, Fortune 500, where all the wealth's being created in technology, and it's, it's, it's 8%. Um, and you've got a population of, of 13%, right? Um, so some of that will, will, will change over time. But then you look at the managerial positions and the positions that people are in and really getting um, access to a lot of the frontline work. Um, and so why is that? And there's some research as well around the amount of the, the people that get funded. Um, so if you look at VC, so if you look at venture capital today, 40% um, of uh, venture capital, of pe people that are actually in the business of giving and, and, and being investors on the investor side are from two schools, Stanford and Harvard. So you, you start to build up this echo chamber of a network and it's very hard for people to, to, to break in. And I think to your point, Seth, right, if you're kind of, and I don't, and I don't mean this in a negative way, I'm just, just generally speaking, but if you're kind of head down, living your life, enjoying yourself and um, you don't have any black right. friends or you don't have any people that you connect with or you don't have anybody even wants to tell you that, then how, how are you, how are you going to know? And part of it is like, yeah, you've got to wake up and smell the coffee and look around you. But I think what, what we're also spending time on is bringing visibility to that. Um, and then talking actionably, like what mm -hmm. can be done. And some, some of the things that can be done is like, well, yeah, when you're looking at someone's CV, don't judge their name, right? When you're looking at someone's CV, don't look at their picture on their LinkedIn, because we all have these unconscious biases that we're, we're, we're not necessarily aware of, but they impact 
um, the the ability for individuals to really progress. So there's a there's a lot there, and a lot of it's down to the schooling system and the segregation yeah. as well. From from my opinion, um, from what I've seen and been speaking to to different folks on the platform and just generally. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And you know, uh, uh, the other day we were talking with uh, one of our friends who is working with us as a real estate agent, and she was just you know we were learning a little bit about the process and in our market right now, like you know you're gonna for every home that goes on the market, there's gonna be 15 to 20 bids on a house within you know a day or two. Yeah. So it's a very competitive market. Yeah. And so we were kind of asking you're like you know how do you help your clients to like filter through this and. And I joked, you know, as somebody who loves stories and who creates media, I was like, you know, when we put a bit on a house, like, should we, you know, create a story and tell them that, you know, this <laughs> is our first home and all this stuff. And she was like, you could, but she said, I advise my clients to not look at any of the, like, kind of what she calls like extracurricular info. So she advises her clients, like, don't look at the stories because she said it's very common for people to send in letters and all of these things. And so we asked her, like, why? Like, well, then what are, they, what are they looking at? And so she said she she creates a numbered spreadsheet um, and there's not names on there. And we're like, there's not even names. And she's like, yeah, because if you have the name Rodriguez on there or some name that might have, you know, to the to a buyer or to a seller that might bring up some some, you know, conscious or subconscious biases, then that can help, you know, that can make those decisions as opposed to them picking based off of like the information, like the truth, the data, the information. And it was just something I'd never even thought of, of like, oh, that, that totally makes sense of like why in some settings, unfortunately it is pretty important and pretty necessary that we're, that some of those measures are taken. But yeah, I think that was like a kind of like an eye opening moment of like, oh yeah, there's, it goes so deep, like where there's all of these biases. And so then you can only imagine that with, you know, resumes and job opportunities and, venture capitalists looking at, you know, companies that are bringing in, you know, bringing their pitches, like all of this stuff, all of this stuff matters. And it, and it really is involved in, in every aspect of our lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's um, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is a great conversation. And for those of you kind of just jumping in, um, Marcus is the CEO of EQ Community, um, and they're really creating a, a platform. Would you call it a social platform? Uh, yeah, you could call it a, you could call it a, a, a social slash professional platform. I'm not sure what the category is, but yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a social professional platform um, that's really gonna gonna provide places for some conversations and authentic connections. Um, for people that are wanting to get connected to other people, but also other companies that have some of these values. So uh, if anybody has any questions for Marcus or wants to hear anything about his story, has any questions about this conversation, feel free to request to be on stage. Um, we love, or, you know, if you hit the, re if you're in the Fireside app and you hit the react button, you can type in a question. Um, we'd love to hear some questions from, the community here on Fireside. The next question I want to ask um, is really around this concept of authenticity. Mm -hmm. I think it's fun that we're having this conversation on um, Fireside because, you know, Fireside, one of their main goals is really to provide more authentic 
content and more authentic conversations as opposed to just kind of spamming with, you know, getting hit with a million pieces of content. They really want to have a standard and have quality, authentic and intentional content. And with you, I think there's some similarities to where yeah. social media and most of the ways that people uh, online are interacting with each other, it can just feel spammy. It can feel exhausting to just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling <laughs> and just feel like, what's the point of all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, help me understand that problem and why you're, why, like, what was the journey for you realizing like, oh, there's got to be a more authentic way to interact with people online and connect online. Yeah, I, I think it first surfaced when you got that app on your iPhone that told you how much time you were spending. I think it's just a, a, a standard setting, right, in the settings where you can see how much time you're spending on each app, whether you're spending it on yeah. productivity, social, or, or what have you. And just kind of analyzing that and thinking, am I really getting that much value um, from some of these other platforms? And somebody that... One of the main reasons I used to like, like using some of the social platforms historically, like Instagram before, and, and I haven't used it for a while, actually, was um, to document. Because I thought it was pretty cool when you look back in a year's time, you say, oh, I went to all these places and done all these things. And I think that was the origination of, of, of Facebook. And I think for those use cases, it's really interesting. But when your feed is, I suppose, interrupted um, without you being asked to, it feels like somebody or something is, which it actually, in fact, is. It's it's, it's um, interrupting your your mind and your attention, and so you have no choice but to look at it or scroll past it. And I and and, and right. for me, I felt like, well, why don't you at least choose the types of people or topics that you want to be around? Because I think if you can make that initial choice, and there's no um, interruption with things that you don't want to see, at least you're going to start to get fed because I, I think I, I talked about being on an information diet this year. Um, and that was one of the things that drove us like, well, what would my information diet look like? Right. Um, and then breaking that down where it looked like a little bit of business, it would look like some film and culture. Um, there'll be a couple of people that I'd be interested in seeing what they're up to. But other than that, probably about it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that 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 was really the genesis for it, and people have, have taken to it, and they feel like and they feel like they want to come back and spend time. And also, one last thing I'll say just on that was, I remember when Google started many years ago, um, and one of their big mantras was like, "We want you to spend as least time as possible on Google, so you can get where you're going." It was like a high speed highway. So you'd come in, come out, come in, come out. And that was their incentive and their measure. And I think the incentive structure yeah. has changed in social so significantly where it's about you spending more time versus less time on it. So, Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that is such a good point. And um, we have Jim on the stage, Jim Davis. And Jim has a question um, about kind of asking for looking at support from corporate America. So Jim, uh, welcome to the stage. Feel free to unmute yourself um, and ask Marcus a question. (laughs) Yeah, my very, very first question here. Uh, Marcus, um, I've certainly read about a lot of uh, corporate initiatives, uh, especially over the course of the last year, pledging money and support. Um, where where are we really when when uh, when boots hit the ground? Are they 
encouraging and supporting you financially and otherwise? Uh, you know, what are you seeing in terms of action instead of just words? Yes, it's a it's a good question. I, I think that we, we've seen with some of the big banks more recently making a, a lot of the pledges as well and starting to type and write things out. But that's part of the purpose that we're serving, which is to give companies a frictionless way to take action. So we, we, we are seeing positive steps, um, but our space that we've been focused on so far has been um, fast growing tech companies that are that are VC funded. So a lot of them have a lot more autonomy and um, we haven't really spent much time with the big corporates yet. So that's um, uh, to be determined. But we're definitely doing a check and seeing, well, at the end of the year, what what does the checks and balances look like as far as like how many people have you hired? And I think that's the number one barometer. Um, How many people are you actually hiring into positions that are meaningful um, for your organizations? Um, So it's just starting. It's still early. Um, I don't think that much action has been taken to to uh, to be really frank in terms of concrete but there's still some momentum there in the air. So we want to, we want to leverage that and, and keep it going. Are there good sets of uh, metrics and reports around that? I mean, uh, a lot of individual companies might have, have some things. I didn't know if there are some uh, data points that you're using overall to help again, highlight some of these issues. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a couple of um, companies that we work with and partner with. There's a, a company called MZEMSI um, that's an economic modeling company that really provides a lot of data and insights on the the changes and trends around, um, I suppose, just uh, um, diversity and inclusion, generally speaking, as well as general economic trends for hiring. There's another company that I came across more recently um, called Blendor which is they, they've got a really interesting product. So what they've done is they've actually scraped a lot of these pledges um, that are taking place online. And they have then started to match them against their um, actions to really to keep them accountable. I think that's still pretty early stages. So I know there's a couple of programs going on in that space in order to do that. Yeah, I, I think that is fascinating. And, and you know, the last two years, there's been, I guess, last and not just two years, but the last couple of years, there's been a lot of conversations and you know these diversity and equity and equality statements and all of these things. But that's really interesting that there's you know a sense of accountability that's forming, and that, of course, people don't often think about. Okay, cool. Well, that's good that they're doing that. But are they or that they say they're doing that? But they're are they actually? Doing that. Did you see that as a challenge in any of the companies that you were working with, where they maybe? you know, said or made some statements of, yeah, we're going to be doing this. But then, you know, when it kind of came to boots on the ground, it was harder to implement or harder to keep accountable for some of those promises. Yeah, I I think what I do see and what I notice is however so slightly the goalposts move. And when you're playing any game, whether that's sports or something, if the goalposts have moved like two yards left to right, it makes a big difference. And so an example of that is, hey, yeah, we really want to drive executive um, leadership, but then it's like, well, but only up to VP level. So I think that what we're starting to see uh, a little bit as uh, people pulling back, but in a very, um, quote, unquote, looks like an unnoticeable way initially. So the pledges in that, they're still there. But I think the question is, is how much momentum 
um, can we keep with this to drive it forward? Because you can maybe look back in six months to a year's time. And uh, yeah, it was just another conversation. That's really what we're trying to change and the problem we're tackling and, and hence why we're having the conversations um, on the platform, but also driving action associated to them as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Jim, thanks so much for asking uh, your question. If anybody else has a question, feel free to come up on stage. We'd love to hear from you and uh, field your question towards Marcus. In the meantime, so Marcus, I'm curious, and I don't necessarily have the best way to say this. So I'm, uh, if I, I guess if I jump, jumble my words a bit, then uh, help me out. But is, is the option, like is the best option for kind of corporate America in some of these problems right now, is it, um, you know, determining their kind of quotas? I, and I hate using that word, but like, okay, yeah. you know, we're going to have a 50%, 50% non-white um, workforce, or is it, you know, removing some of the, you know, things like pictures and names out of resumes so that maybe some subconscious biases aren't fitting in? Like, should it be about, hitting certain percentage points in order to like level it, or should it be about removing some of the barriers that maybe get in front of truly hiring the best, the best candidate and the best person? Yeah. So I, I think, I think it's a, it's a very deep question. I appreciate that you've asked it um, in that way as well. It, so, so, so the business person inside me says that it's important to have metrics and numbers in any project that you're working on because you need a goal. So that's the business person, the sports person inside of me. But then part of it is like, if it's sort of, if it's not your job, but you're kind of, you're walking past something on the street and you see some trash, you should still pick it up. Um, and so I think it's a combination between metrics and then just doing, doing what's right. Um, for me, uh, holding people accountable to, to metrics is, is really important, but it, you don't want it to be a box ticking exercise. Um, and so one of the things that, that we've been spending a lot of time on is it, it's actually in the company's interests and benefits to become more diverse. And the reason being, there's a few reasons, but one of the main reasons is a lot of your customers represent really the population of yeah the world and kind of who you want to sell to, right? So if you don't have them in turn, you're going to lose sales. Um, also, as we start to get into a place where you can work from anywhere, anytime, the, um, the, the, the type of talent that you have access to is a lot more vast. It's not just in your school, school network. So there are people that are super, super talented that may come from diverse backgrounds that just haven't had the shot or the opportunity. And that could help your company to scale and grow. And then, as we know, I think it's about like, what 28 million small businesses in the United States. Um, it's then how do we then fund um, new companies to empower them to embark on their journey in a way that's going to be um, that they're going to be successful, right? Um, and 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 we talked about venture capital right. further. I think it's only like uh, I want to say it's it's only one percent of companies that get funded by VC anyway, right? Because some don't have a choice; they don't even know that world, don't know that space. So it's a very small proportion. So it's the funding side, and it is also making sure that you do stay true to your numbers and your word and those metrics um, that you're going to hit and you're, and you're going to drive that forward in terms of making your company look like a representation of those customers that you want to serve. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, for people, even if you're in probably very, very few companies in America that are truly like they're in a, in a non-diverse bubble of America and they're serving completely non-diverse people. Like most businesses, I mean, when you look at the customers, like we live in a very diverse country. Um, and so it makes sense for that to be represented. I'm curious in your previous role where you, you know, for lack of a better term, we're pulling some of the strings as far as what companies were being invested in um, with the venture funding. Uh, what were you looking at as somebody who's kind of behind the scenes with funding and what kind of things were you implementing or doing to make sure that all of the funding wasn't just going towards, you know, pretty much the people that and the people and the types of businesses that are traditionally getting funded? Yeah. So we just in terms of our approach, um, we had a thousand, we looked at 1,048 HR tech companies globally. So it was in London, Singapore, Northern Europe, um, and then in the US. So we had a, a process of scanning um, companies, especially in HR tech. If you look in the recruitment space, staffing space, all the conferences I've been to <laughs> over the last 10, 15 years, I'm generally maybe one of two or three black people that are there. So it's not a very huh. diverse um, industry per se. And I think out of that 1,048, I saw two, probably two black companies. Um, and the, I think the reason behind that is because um, to run a HR tech company takes a lot of funding in the first place. And it was only once I arrived in the US where I started to see a lot more of the small businesses that were growing because the difference between the US and Europe is that in the US, you can run a business which occupies, um, let's just say, Atlanta, for example, and you have market share in that area. And that's a hugely successful business. It could be a $50, $100 million business if you, if you get that whole area. In Europe, in the UK, you need multiple countries to do that. So the, the, what, what we were doing um, at the start was really just looking at the process of um, how fast a company was growing. And so we would look, determine that by the um, numbers of users. Was it adjacent to our space that we were in? So we were in staff and recruiting um, industry. So what other adjacent markets? Education was something that we looked at. So we invested in a company called General Assembly, um, which is a big education company. Um, and then we also looked at how would that impact our, our flywheel um, as a business. So corporate investments are slightly different to VC strategic investments because corporate, you kind of look at one and one to equal, which I used to like say 11. Right. Whereas in a VC, it's obviously high risk. Um, how many can you invest in and what's that return? So our activity wasn't such as a VC, um, but in terms of actual investments and, and, and putting investment dollars down, but it was in terms of scanning. And we'd be just looking at what would be complementary to our business if we brought these two businesses in. And there weren't, there weren't any mature, we didn't come, I didn't come across any mature black businesses, any. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And in, in the audience, Megan, Megan Zink says that she loves General Assembly and she actually just moderated uh, for them. So that's cool. She's familiar with that. Oh, um, yeah. Any, any other questions, people, if feel free, if you have a question for Marcus about what we're talking about to raise your hand, come on stage. We'd love to hear from you or to put it in the reaction chat. Um, where do you see this going? Like, what is the next, you know, let's say 18 months, 12 to 18 months kind of look like for EQ? Yeah, so so we're, we're really focused on 
ensuring that our members are getting value. And so we're measuring that by the level of engagement and how often they return. So that's on the member side. So making sure that we're covering and focusing on the topics that are important to them. Um, and we believe if we, we grow in that way, I mean, our referral um, rate at the moment is 50%, even though we're, we're still small. So uh, 50% of the members are referring new people. We want to continue um, on that trend. So that's one of the big focuses. And then on the company side, it's really um, the first six months and the first quarter is uh, 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 continuing with some of our anchor clients and helping them to start to change the landscape of their organizations in a meaningful way. So those are the two things um, that we're focused on, both from the members and the, and the client side. That's great. And, and Marcus, like, I, you know, we talked before this conversation, but I feel like even just now that we've gotten to talk more about what you're doing, why you're doing it, it's like now my my, my, I can, my mind is like catching up and making to like really see like what the value of this of this is. And, and even, you know, as a, as a young person, if I'm wanting to, you know, I'm looking for employment or looking for professionals to connect with. So important to be able to, you know, go to places where I know that those companies value what I value. And, you know, if I'm looking for companies to try and meet recruiters with, um, I mean, it sounds like on EQ, some of the companies that are going to be represented there are companies that are not just, you know, promising and kind of putting out their statements, but that there's actually there's actually data behind them saying, hey, we're not just saying we're doing this, but we are, you know, we're actually putting our our money and our time and, and our recruiting efforts where, you know, where our statements, where our mouth is in, in doing that. So it's, it, I mean, I can see how valuable it'll be for people that are looking to connect with people in a more professional way and to know that those people are, um, you know, they're, they're passionate and they're really taking effort towards some of these issues that are, that are so critical and so important. So it's fun to, fun to get a better understanding of what you guys, uh, what you're doing with EQ. I'm curious, what are, what are some of your needs? Like you guys mainly looking for corporate like introductions to corporations? Are you guys raising money? Like what are some of the things that you guys are kind of looking for and needing, needing support with in this time? Yeah. So (laughs) that, that question probably changes every day. the answer to that question every day in a startup yeah. because it's i mean what one day you think you need customers and then the next day you've got um, more demand than you can fulfill i think uh where, where we are today and i'll go back to it is really ensuring that we can maintain this vibe and this energy at scale because and and and, and right. so that's so it's not necessarily we uh, we have a need we've got companies that we're talking to and we're really open to speaking to more that are very um, interested in being in- inclusive. So we're exclusive to inclusive companies um, because we want to spend less time banging on doors and more time walking through open doors of the companies that have started on this journey already, or at least really interested in. So we're very interested in speaking to those companies to help them. Um, as far as from the member side, if you are interested or in tech or also an ally around D&I, you should join EQ because you're really going to 
not only find opportunities that could, could be useful for yourself, but you'll have people in your network that may benefit from you being there as well. So um, you don't have any big needs. We're, we're not going out for funding right now. So we're bootstrapping um, until such time that we, we may see fit or may not. So we're just going to keep growing as, as fast as we can and as steady as we, uh, and as methodical as we can at the same time, which is kind of, yeah, right. it's a, it's a bit of a, a, an oxymoron, but yeah. Yeah. Which, which is fun. And I think it's fun that you've been in a place where you've been providing funding. Um, but you guys are also choosing to bootstrap. And I love people just seeing that there's multiple ways to fund a company. It doesn't all have to be through venture capital and also boots. There's other ways than bootstrapping. So I think that's fun that you're, that you made that decision. What kind of caused you to not want to say, okay, I have this idea. Let's go get some money. Yeah. I, so I, being in like kind of Silicon Valley in the Bay area. I, I, so what I learned about myself a long time ago is that one of my biggest skills and you lose it when you go into a corporate is being resourceful. I'm, I'm, I'm a straight hustler. Like I'm really resourceful. I used to go to the store for my mom, come back with change all the time or five times more than she wanted. And I wanted to just put that kind of skill back to use. And I think with the technology that's available now, you can do a lot yourself and get it to a certain point. And so therefore I, I found myself and I found people with me when I was on the investor side, spending a lot of time presenting to me. Here's the deck, presentations, do it, and selling. And I thought, well, Instead of doing it that way, I'll meet all the VCs and I'm interested in meeting with them. We can help them, but why don't we have them as customers um, and spend time that way and, and prove the value and the worth that way? So it's it's really, a, and it was a combination of, hey, I, I got to a point where um, I was able to, to, to do it and give it a shot for a period of time. Um, so why not put my money where my mouth is and, and drive it forward so we, we don't have any excuses? Um, and I, and the other, other thing is I just see it as a long-term play. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th I think that resourcefulness is so, so critical and kind of in a, you know, a shark tank era world where we've just seen so many examples of you have an idea, you go and ask for money. And that's a great option at times. And for many industries, that's, you know, maybe the only option to scale, yeah. but I think that we, it's really easy to think about, okay, you need to know how to earn money as well and uh, how to be profitable as a company. And I think that's just, it's a really important skill of resourcefulness to be able to know. You mentioned one thing earlier in the interview that I got to ask before we close, you just uh, lightly mentioned that you run four miles a day. Uh, is that every day? How long have you been doing that for? <laughs> so it's, every day during the week and i've only been doing that for a year um since covid hit and it was really my opportunity to have a release um and yeah go outside a bit and i never i'm not and this is gonna sound crazy so i've always been in fitness always been interested in gym stuff but during covid all the gyms and that, they got closed down so i couldn't even go to the gym in my apartment or the one that was close by and then you start to get to a point where it's like oh, well, i'll do some press-ups and do some things like that. And then that gets a bit boring. I thought, well, let me just start running. Um, and then we'll start a mile. So I've done a mile. And I've done two. So, okay, well, if I listen to a podcast and then I just like listen to when Fireside first come out, listen to Fireside was running and you just keep, keep going. So yeah, now do right. four miles in the morning and yeah, it serves me well. That's awesome. Uh, 
is that like your magic number? Is that going to increase? Are you going to increase, or is it like just this this rhythm of it's going to be four miles a day forever? Well, I don't know because my run is to a pier. So if I run any further, I'll run off the pier. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. One, like, is it the same? Is it the same route? Because I've wondered this often. Like at my house, like we have a park at the end of the street. There's yeah. a ton, a ton of people that are walking their dogs. Uh, and we see some of the same people. I don't really pay attention to the time. But I've joked with my wife, like, I wonder if we sat there and wrote down, like, the people and the time. Like, if there be, I guarantee there's some people that, like, the same minute every day they pass by our house. So are you, like, are you leaving at the same exact time in the same route? And you're, like you know, the guy in the movies waving at the coffee shop, like at the same time. And, and like, how, how much of a rhythm is this for you? I, I, I'm, I'm similar time. Um, something else that I was able to do um, when I moved, I think it was when, when I moved to the US because of my body clock, um, we were ahead in Europe. Ever since I moved to the US, I've never had to set an alarm to get up. So hmm. I, I get up automatically around 5.36. So it's always around that. Doesn't matter what time I go to bed. So whatever time I get yeah. up, that's when I go for the. That's when I start and go for the run. I get the kids ready and just make sure that they're they're good and then go for a run. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Last question: How important is that your run? How important is that run and like the cadence of that, like you know, that release for your entrepreneurial journey, like for building this? Like, how how is that connected and how important? I'd say it's, I, I might even say 30 to 40% <laughs> um, huh. of how important it is because it gives me time to think um, and an opportunity to, to get ideas. That's usually when I get my best ideas when, when I'm running. And a lot of the time um, when I, so I, I, so at the end, when I go to the pier, when I don't run off, I, I, I stop for a second, I go back in my notes and I write a few things down. Um, so I really leverage that as the time mm. to to get ideas, soak them up, think about what I'm going to do, um, and reflect. Really, um, so it's kind of I wouldn't say it's necessarily meditation, and I have done that as well when I get to the uh, certain point of the run. Maybe I'll, I'll zone out, but it's super, super important for me mentally just to stay uh, mentally healthy. And then, and then the other thing, it's funny when when I first started running or first started doing weights, first started doing gym, you do it. I was doing it for football. And then after that, you do it for cosmetic reasons. You go on a holiday, you want to look in shape. And then now I'm doing it for mental reasons. So the reasons behind why I do these things yeah. change, but then you start the cosmetic reasons and like actually catch up. You're like, oh shit, like, I'm not actually as heavy as I thought I would be this time this year. And just doing that, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know pounds. I lost like I don't know, 25 pounds just doing that four mile run in the last year. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I mean, it's so it's so true. I think if you're, I think for any human, I mean, obviously exercises, but I think especially if you're in a season of building something like having that, that time and that margin where your body can be moving and your brain can just think and just kind of do its thing is is absolutely critical. Marcus, thank you so much for joining yeah, Storytellers. We are so grateful for for what you're building and just to get to hear your story. And I think it's you know, we love hearing stories on this show, but I think that we're also, I mean, we're interested in stories that matter. Like, I don't really care to interview people that they're only focused in life is making money. Like, we want to see 
people that are making an impact and it's clear that you are. And so I'd love to just kind of give you the stage for the last, you know, the last minute and just, is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know and what's just kind of the best way again for them to find you and stay up to date with what you're doing? Yeah. So the best way to stay in touch with me, there's two main ways. Uh, you can find me on um, Twitter at Marcus Sawyer. Um, it's M-A-R-C-U-S, S-A-W-Y-E-R-R, or join us at EQ Community, which is just EQ.community. So no.com, no.co.uk, just EQ.community. So those are the, the two best ways. Now, and I want to say, Seth, thanks for having me and really appreciate you giving me this opportunity and this platform to share what we're doing at EQ. I, One thing I do want to leave the audience with is that talent um, is everywhere. And just because you don't see things, it doesn't mean it's not happening. So I invite you all to really be part of what we're building to really make a, a more diverse and equitable society for all. So, yeah, th- thanks a lot, Seth. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And I want to encourage anybody in the play, make sure you follow Marcus on his fireside account because uh, I know I'm, I'm advocating for Marcus to be uh, hosting some, some of these conversations and hosting some valuable content. And I think, you know, you have a lot of connections uh, throughout your, your career. And I think it's amazing how you've turned your desire and your, you know, your ability to connect with people and realizing, okay, we can, we can create some solutions to help people be more connected. So Marcus, thank you so much. Uh, everybody that participated, thank you all. And uh, we will see you next time on the small business storytellers. Thank you so much for listening to the small business storytellers. If you've wanted to start a podcast and have been wondering if you can use podcasting to grow your business, but don't know where to start, I'd love to talk. Head to successwithstories.com slash podcast to learn exactly how to launch, grow, and profit from a podcast for your business. Again, that is successwithstories.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, share it with someone you know who would also like it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would be a great guest on the show, let me know. Thank you, and we will see you next time on the Small Business Storytellers.